You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join Coach C, a USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete with the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Uh, good evening and welcome to our fifth show with Absolute Empowerment. It's going to be a very special show because tonight we have retired collegiate football coach Mike Cassidy. And Mike is a uh, an important figure in pirate history because uh, the year that we won the Peach Bowl, Mike was our defensive coordinator. And what I'm going to try to do, Mike, is I'm going to try to uh, try to go through your bio here a little bit and see if I can do it correctly uh, and inc include everything I need to include. But you can correct me if I if I mess something up. But uh, uh, was, of course, the uh, ECU defensive coordinator in 91. And, uh, and, and Mike played and coached at the uh, University of Kentucky. Uh, Mike started there at safety and was also a wrestler there, a successful wrestler. Uh, has coached 37 seasons and 22 as a defensive coordinator and was a defensive coordinator at Western Kentucky, uh, Louisiana Monroe, uh, ECU, Georgia Tech, Cincinnati, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Illinois, and Louisville, and also coached at Moorhead State, Marshall, Wisconsin, and Purdue. Uh, so, I, Mike, I don't know what the total was on your moving expenses, but it had to be up there. But, uh, of course, the universities took care of it. But uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we are very honored to have you today. Thanks, Jeff. I, uh, you know, one of the adages, uh, I moved 17 times yeah. and people always say, uh, I can't sell my house. Yeah, you can. It's just how much money you want to lose each time you, you move, but they, <laughs> it was great. It was really good. Well, I wanted you to, to, uh, say a few words about your ECU experience, of course. And, uh, well, what, what were some of the things that you remember? Of course, uh, we, you know, we know, uh, about the Peach Bowl, but uh, you were there what several years, three years, or no? I was I was there two years, two and years. the way it came about, I was at Louisiana Monroe and uh, received a call from Steve Shankweiler. Uh, Coach Shank and I had coached together at Western Kentucky, became very good friends, and he said we have an opening, and Bill Lewis uh, wanted to know if you'd be interested in coaching the defensive ends. I said absolutely. So he said, we'll uh, fly you up uh, in the next few days and let you interview. So three or four days went by. I hadn't heard from Coach Shank. So I called him back and I said, Steve, uh, I hadn't heard anything. He said, well, we've had two coaches leave now, uh, the defensive ends coach and the uh, linebackers coach. So we're still going to bring you up, uh, you know, just whatever you feel most comfortable. So four more, five more days go by, and I call him back, and he says, Cass, he says, uh, we've lost the secondary coach, and he says, uh, you know, uh, we'll fly you up and let you talk. So I flew up there, and, of course, Bill Lewis was a very noted 
uh, defensive coordinator, won the national championship, great coach at Georgia, et cetera. So Bill said, Cass, just get up on the board and start talking. And, uh, you know, I had coordinating experience, so I went through every position there was uh, on the defense and gave my philosophy, thinking I was still interviewing for one of those three positions. So two days later, I get a call, and he says, uh, you know, we'd like to offer you the uh, defense coordinator's job. And in all that transition, one of my great friends, great coach, Dave Huxtable, joined us, and then uh, Bob Slowick. So, and Kerry Gaudet, of course, was already there. But we had a great coaching staff defensively. Offensively, with uh, Steve Logan and Steve Shankweiler and Coach Steele and Coach Jagosinski, uh, you know, we had a top-notch uh, open. Anybody's media guide and our media guide was better than most. Well, I certainly felt very lucky to be part of the staff, and uh, it was uh, just incredible, uh, all the journeys uh, that took place from all the members of that staff. Uh, and, and there's been tons of people come through East Carolina that have been extremely successful in collegiate football and in the NFL. It's, it's amazing uh, just how many people that, uh, that I ended up working with there over the years. Um, you know, what was your base defense? Well, one thing before I move on, Jeff, uh, one of our key, key coaches uh, was Dale Steele. And yeah. I think he's rejoined ECU uh, at various times. And what a great family man and great coach he was. My philosophy started out uh, a little bit, Ben, don't break, Ben, don't break, Ben, don't break. But with the evolution, even back then, of the short passing game and getting running backs on the perimeter, uh, it seemed to be Ben, don't break, Ben, don't break, the block PAT, Ben, don't break, Ben, don't break, try to block field goal. And we did all right the first year there. Uh, the second year, we opened the season at Illinois, and uh, it was a, you know, one or two point loss. And we ran man coverage blitz uh, three times during the game, and they scored three times. And we lost right at the end of the game and then reeled off 11 straight victories. But that one loss because of man coverage, uh, Bill Lewis, myself, Huxtable, and Slowick sat down and said, how can we devise a way to run blitzes and play zone coverage? Nobody had ever heard of fire zones or whatever the Steelers got credit for. But initially, we took our four DBs and we played what I call match coverage. And we would line up four across, and as they unfolded, we'd pick them up, and consequently, we were blitzing seven guys. And then um, slowly but surely, they started leaking a running back out that wasn't accounted for, so uh, we used uh, one of the seven, and we called him the hot defender, and he would pick up the hot read. And we took that defense and like I said, reeled off 11 straight wins, and it was the most incredible season. And I actually was 42 years in college coaching, but I okay. think that that might have been, if not the most special, one of the most specials. And, uh, you know, if you want me to elaborate a little bit more on the feelings and thoughts of that season, I could talk forever. <laughs> and, uh, no, well, I'm, I'm, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to mention that uh, I think Dale did retire this year. And, uh, of course, Shank is still there as the offensive line coach. And uh, I know when I left, the offensive line was very thin, not much depth at all, uh, not a great amount of talent. And I think uh, uh, Shank's done a really good job of, of rebuilding the offensive line and bringing in a lot of big kids that can play. And, uh, you know, I think they'll have a lot of success this year. And uh, they also have a really good running back right now. So uh, I went to two games so far. And, and uh, you know, I think they, they got that thing back rolling up front. And uh, Shank's still doing his thing. So he uh, he's on the grind. Well, as uh, you know, as you know, besides being a great coach, he's a great person. And, man, he can cook some country-style ribs and, uh, you know, <laughs> He always treated his players with the occasional meal, and I'd always beg to come over during that occasional meal. And Steve and I have remained very close friends, along with Patty, Court, and the rest of his family. And uh, what an addition he still is to East Carolina or any university. Sure. Um, so I was up in the press box that year, so I do remember level coverage. Yep. Did you have a level coverage, or am I imagining that? No, that's where we uh, put four guys in a level line, and uh, as they would, uh, the receivers would come out. We would match them up, and actually, okay. the the initial name of the coverage was level, and then when we started including a linebacker, we called it hot H O T, and yeah. I carried I carried that through the rest of my career, and uh, it still is very very effective because you can make it look just like. Uh, zone coverage and you're blitzing six guys rather than five. Mm. And, uh, you know, I use that all the way up to the big 10 championships, the orange bowl, a lot of great victories using that, uh, thing that Bill Lewis and the rest of our staff devised in 1991. Well, I thought that was really interesting. You know, I played strong corner at Salem, West Virginia. And, you know, that's, uh, yeah, we had a few, uh, mm. People come through there. Jimbo Fisher was a quarterback after I left. Terry Bowen was head coach. And Rich Rodriguez was a head coach there after I left as well. But I just remember, uh, I think 80% of my collegiate career, I, I was in cover three. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> Well, there's still a place for that. But with the evolution of now the RPOs and on the line and four wides, uh, you've got to be a little more varied than cover three. Right. Um so, you know, how do you think things have changed over the years in relationship to defensive philosophy? And uh, I guess, you know, how much has tempo football on the offensive side changed what the defense uh, has to do? And I, I, the other thing i like to ask is, you know, how, how important are lockdown corners, two or three or three lockdown corners? Uh, uh, sometimes, of course, you know, you might have three corners on a field, but um, – you know, kind of what, what does that allow you to do when you can sign those type of kids? Well, uh, I'll go back and reference some of the places I've been. At the University of Illinois in 2001, it had been 30 years since they won a Big Ten championship, and it's been – they hadn't won one since. And, uh, you know, there's another stat they keep up called PBUs or past breakups. And on one corner I had Eugene Wilson, the other I had Christian Morton. And uh, one of them was number one in the nation, and the other was number two in the nation. And we played press bump coverage, and uh, that allowed me to really, really 
uh, stack up against the run. And then when you bring pressure, you eliminate uh, two of the components. Now, with the evolution of the three and four wides, obviously, uh, it's always great to have another corner that's usually your nickel. And, uh, you know, I was very, very familiar, um, you know, when all this evolved um, from the time of Rich Rodriguez at uh, West Virginia, Pat White and Slayton and and uh, Charlie Ward at FSU. And, you know, I've, I've played against some very, very good, talented uh, guys. But I, I will say this, I always kept up with a stat of guys that I coached that went on to the NFL. And uh, I had 59 defensive backs uh, move on to the National Football League. Uh, they all didn't make it all the time, but yet uh, I thought it was a lot because my philosophy was to play press coverage. And we really had um, a philosophy of two things. And if it took nine guys to stop the run, that's where we were going to start. And then our other uh, facet to that, we were going to hit your quarterback. And that was a known fact. And while at Louisville with uh, Bobby Petrino, we went 12-1-9-3-12-1. You know, we led the nation in sacks. And, um, you know, uh, it's a little harder with today's football, uh, which I think the rules are great for targeting and stuff like that. But I still... uh, using the philosophy of hit your quarterback doesn't necessarily mean sack the quarterback, but he starts seeing guys coming at him instead of looking downfield. Right. And the one other, one other thing about the philosophy, and I heard a guy named Ralph Friedgen at Georgia Tech, he, he drew a pie and had like eight different slices to it. He had his one-back offense. He had his two-back offense. He had his three-back offense. He had his spread, the double wing, and he would get in one of those and until you stopped it, he was going to stay in it. So I thought, why can't we do that defensively with different fronts? So I drew a pie. I divided it into eight slots. And I included the, the pressure, the bear defense, the 46 defense. Rob Ryan, uh, Buddy Ryan's son, who's been a coordinator everywhere. Uh, we were together. He was my graduate assistant at Western Kentucky. And I joined him when I was defense coordinator at Oklahoma State. So that was another facet that we knew all the ins and outs of, of the bear defense. And we would run basically eight different fronts with the same coverages, and we would have a fire zone and a blitz out of it. And consequently, offensive coordinators had to reduce uh, what they were doing because I would stay up countless hours at night trying to adjust to the motions, the shifts, and, and those kinds of things which are still very, very prevalent in today's football. Right. Uh, what I've noticed over the years is, uh, you know, uh, in recruiting, you're trying to get a whole bunch of D linemen where you can rotate two or three groups in and keep people fresh. And uh, I just go back and remember uh, Greg Gardell and Zion Kumalai, and uh, it seemed like seemed like them boys were in this, they were in the game the whole time, and uh, – and one weighed 241, the other one weighed 242. And, uh, well, you know, they got the job done. I mean, how about those guys? What do you remember about them? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, we had a very, very special group. And the work ethic that was instilled, and it was a philosophy that we set a very, very high bar. And the one thing Coach Lewis would say is, you guys as coaches, 
it's your responsibility to bring their play or their effort to the level of our expectations, not to drop them. And we tried to do that. And, uh, you know, slowly there was a slogan that I don't know who started it. I think Coach Lewis may have started, but it was We Believe. Right. And as the year went on, the players, you know, that was a big, big part of their MO. And, uh, you know, going back to that year of the Peach Bowl after winning the game in Atlanta and beating NC State, we flew back into Kinston that night. And I've never, and I've won a lot of championships, but I've never been as excited to ride back. And it was the whole way back, cars uh, on the side of the road, uh, shining their lights with people cheering. And it was a special, special thing that we brought back to the eastern part of North Carolina and uh, people of that university. And that will never leave me. I still got my Peach Bowl ring. And and believe it or not, my son that plays at Oklahoma State uh, played high school football uh, in Texas with Robert Jones's son, who was a great mm. linebacker. And, you know, we had Ernie Lewis and, and Robert Jones and prayers go out to Ernie. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had Jerry Dillon. We had a bunch of guys that could really run. And then in the second year, you had guys like Greg Granison and, and Chris Hall. And I remember uh, Greg was a big 220-pound safety and intercepted the key ball at Virginia Tech. And it took the longest I've ever seen anybody – uh, go to the other end for a touchdown and we win because of the game yeah. and, uh, or because of that interception. And uh, yeah. they, they were a fun group to, to work with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bill Lewis was very, very diligent and held the, the players and coaches uh, accountable for being on time. And, you know, through the long uh, haul, you know, that paid off. But yet at right. the same time, we would challenge the team to softball games, and we had a lot of fun. And I think today uh, people say, well, you can't coach guys like you used to. And my answer to that is, yes, you can. You've just got to show them that you care about them as people, and what you're doing uh, is in, you know, it's everything to help the team and work toward a common goal. And I always used to say, run to the ball, run to the ball. And yeah. our guys did that. And then when I coached with a guy named Coach Petrino, he said, Cassidy, don't tell him run to the ball. Tell him run full speed to the ball. And he was right. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's just little things like that you pick up through the years. Of I've been around Barry Alvarez. I've been around a lot of great head coaches. And I'm very, very fortunate uh, to have done that. Yes, sir. Uh, so kind of getting into my world a little bit, uh, uh, do you think there's a different standard for conditioning for DBs, uh, you know, as offenses changed and went to tempo? It just seems to me like particularly defensive backs because they don't rotate a lot of people in. Uh, usually uh, they got to be in great shape. Well, that's with, with the offense of playing three and four wides and, They'll run a deep route, and then they'll have three or four new guys lined up, and those DBs are sprinting back and trying to get lined up and do get lined up, and here we go again. So yeah. they've got to be in exceptional, exceptional shape. And uh, I go back to our conditioning test that uh, Bill Lewis had for us, and 
it was for the players and it was a very very high standard and yep. uh we ran uh 12 minute run we ran gassers and and if a guy didn't make it the you know uh he and his coach were early at the next morning trying to make it again and again and again and through the long haul that you know that pays off but dbs nickelbacks they've got to be in tremendous tremendous shape and i'll tell you again going back to uh that guy named coach petrino who's was very very successful while we were together uh they would run two offenses and while one offense was uh running their routes the other offense was on the ball and i think the year before i got there dvs were trying to run back and get lined up and the ball was stabbed and everybody was yelling so i literally had three sets of defensive backs uh, that we would roll in one after the other uh, for those two offense, just rapid fire. And again, day after day after day of, of practicing against that, uh, they were like number one in the nation two of my three years uh, there in offense, total offense. And we did play East Carolina and, you know, uh, played a lot of great teams while I was at Louisville with them. But uh, again, going back to your question, I think defensive backs have, and you know anymore the d-line because it's like you said uh, you have defensive linemen rushing the passer it's a screen pass they got to turn and chase the ball and it's you know i think you see great great athletes on defense all across the board uh no doubt uh and also in 91 you had some great leadership a linebacker with uh you know robert of course and uh some some other folks that weren't bad either. <laughs> well, Kenny Burnett. You know, Kenny Burnett was one of those guys that's an everyday guy, and what he may have not had in as much God-given talent as other players, he was like me. Uh, I won't call him overachievers, but that's what he was. I mean, he would, and, and that was our job of motivation is to push players. Uh, beyond what they thought their limit was and then you continue to do that they become better and better and and kenny burnett was a great leader and um you know we had you know it starts with the the leadership on your football team you know yeah. we had jeff jeff blake and Deion johnson and we had a, a great running back and shank did an outstanding job with that offensive line and we had some big guys offensively and uh, uh luke was one of our tight ends and you know yeah um you know jeff carried that right on into the nfl the success he used to have at throwing the long ball it was a high arching pass and trying to defend those guys uh you know every day in practice was a challenge right uh and well my hat goes off to you jeff too because I've been around a lot of strength coaches and uh, you were as, and, and really strength coaches develop uh, your work ethic because you guys actually spent more time with the players than we were allowed to uh, through time. And uh, the job you did with our guys created discipline and toughness and uh, they were in exceptional shape. And when you start adding all those things up, it's a winning formula. And uh, East Carolina was very, very fortunate to keep you as long as they did. 
am I still on it? it looked like I got cut off for a second. Yeah, I think we, we had a little technical deal there, but, uh, but I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much enjoying my retirement now. And, uh, I was, uh, very fortunate in my career to survive seven head coaches. And so, uh, I, I feel great about that. And, uh, so now my main focus is my next vacation with my bride and uh, trying to get my golf game a little better. But, uh, uh, Mike, what I want to try to do is now is just, just shift gears a little bit. And also, I wanted to mention, you know, that that ride in Kent from Kinston was was definitely very special, you know, for me as well. It's something I'll always remember. And, uh, you know, I feel I was always very proud of those guys and how they finished in the fourth quarter. Uh, so it was, it was just a great year all the way around and some great memories. Um, so, I, you know, if, if you would uh, maybe just talk about uh, your illness when you started to notice some symptoms, uh, you know, because part of this, this podcast, of course, is uh, I'm trying to bring more soldiers to your battle now because I've been reading about it on Facebook and it, it's uh, it really has touched my heart, and uh, and so I, I just want to give you an opportunity to tell your story there. Okay. Uh, the one other guy that I do want to mention that was very instrumental, and he's my best friend, was Greg Nord. And yeah. uh, he has a place on a lake, and believe it or not, uh, my narrow mind or whatever, I didn't know that you could pull up every game in, in life uh, on YouTube and this past uh, winter, we pulled up the ECUNC State Peach Bowl and watched it again and just regenerated all those uh, memories. But going back to, to what you're referencing, Jeff, is um, I was at, uh, in 2012, I was coaching back at my alma mater for actually the third time, uh, just like Shank at East Carolina. This was at the University of Kentucky. I was at the height of my career. Um, I was coaching in the SEC, and I was an avid uh, workout guy at noon and a runner. And I was running four or five miles a day and working out during lunch and come back after lunch and meeting and then practice. And through running, uh, I, I developed a little pain in my SI joint, and, and I continued to push and practice and it got a little worse and a little worse and they put sound and stimulation on my low back and you know it seemed to help for the moment and but it was always there it wasn't a, a sharp killing pain but it was a pain i knew it was there and uh, in practice i'd have to arch my back and bend over sometimes and my girlfriend says coach you've got all these technologies at the university of kentucky why don't you ask them to mri it and I said, sure. And uh, the team doctor called me um, and he said, Cass, he said, uh, what are you doing? I said, well, I just got home a little bit ago. He said, why don't, why don't you come on back over to the stadium so we can visit? So I went back over to the stadium expecting trainers and, you know, players still getting rehabbing. And I walked in, it was empty training room and I knock on the door and then he comes out and he said, hey, you been feeling big guy? And I said, Great, I ran four and a half today. And he said, uh, have you been having night sweats or anything like that? I'm like, I said, Doc, what's up? 
I said, uh, you know, something, you know, so he spins around a monitor and there's my skeleton. looks like one of those things hanging, you know, that you had in biology class. And he pointed to a little spot on my rib and he says, coach, that's uh, a lesion. I didn't know what a lesion was. I'm like, okay, well, tell, what is that? And um, I said, a tumor. I said, well, let's go in and, and get that sucker. And he said, well, we got to find out where it's coming from. And I really didn't know a whole lot about cancer at the time. But as it turned out, they couldn't just go take it because uh, I guess in medical fields, sometimes uh, four stage cancer somewhere else metastasizes and moves to the spine or the brain. So every day was like a death sentence for almost two weeks. Prostate cancer, colon, lung, all that's clear. And both of my parents died of lung cancer. And um, after we went through that, they said, well, we're going to go in and biopsy it. So they did that. And I get a call and I come back over and uh, I'm like, what's up? He said, well, uh, he said, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And usually when you hear that, it means it's really bad news and they're going to lather it and supplement it with some good news i said okay he said give me the bad news he said well you have what's called multiple myeloma and you know i didn't know what that was i said uh what is multiple myeloma and he looked me dead in my eyes i'll never ever forget it and he said coach you've got incurable uh bone marrow cancer and when i heard that jeff i literally about fainted because here I, I've been a, a model of fitness and never used, never smoked a cigarette, chewed tobacco, used merit, nothing. Uh, you know, and I thought I was a good citizen, a model, uh, the, act the way you're supposed to. And I moped around for a week. I really did. I mean, I went in the tank and, of course, told the head coach at Kentucky and, and our coordinator. And I still was trying to coach with that on my mind. and. Um, after five days, um, and this starts the journey, my girlfriend stuck her finger right under my nose. Coach, you better get off your sorry butt and fight. And, you know, I, I, from that moment on, the will to live is very, very powerful. But through the, the powers of prayer and your willingness to fight um, is 90% of it. And uh, I went through what was called a stem cell transplant in Lexington, Kentucky. I did not tell anybody. It was top secret for me, I guess. And um, uh, what it was, they give you a chemo that, that takes you to the brink of death. And then they had given me chemo shots for three weeks, uh, killing the cancer cells and re-spinning my own blood cells. And... That little bag took 15 minutes of the chemo and it took about a week, but you were like, you had no immune system. You had no platelets. Uh, if you caught a cold, you died. If you got cut, you bleed to death. And they put your stem cells in and when your immune system comes back up, then they let you out of the hospital, a three week to a one month process. And, uh, I came out of the hospital and you could barely keep your head up and, I went back and my goal was to to try to 
reach two a days, and it's a hundred day process uh, to get well. And that was day 67. And sure enough, I made it back and my players are like, Cass, you look great. And I said, you guys are darn liars. I look like a POW from Vietnam. My face was caved in. And, uh, but uh, through the power again of prayers and people begin to, to find out. And I had some very hard feelings cause I'd let nobody know that. And, you know, that was just me. And, you know, I went on from 2012 coaching football, got stronger 2016. Uh, I'd go to Lexington every week, which was a 150 mile drive from Bowling Green and they would take tests and your coach, you're doing good, et cetera, et cetera. But then I came there one time, they said, your, your blood work's not right, but don't worry about it. So I didn't worry about it. Went back, continued to coach. Uh, won a lot of games at Western Kentucky. Uh, beat Army, Navy, back-to-back uh, -back years. Um, home and away. So beat Vanderbilt, beat the University of Kentucky, and was really doing good again. But my arm developed a soreness, and you have to throw a football. and. Uh, I was working out, putting a 15-pound dumbbell back on the rack, and my arm snapped in half uh, right below the humerus where the bone was sticking out of the skin. And uh, the cancer had come back. And, um, you know, here we go. And they put an 8-inch rod in my arm. And, and, Jeff, that is really, really when uh, the battle began because – Girlfriend and her mother found the number one myeloma unit in the world that was in Little Rock, Arkansas, but their protocol was to go through two stem cell transplants back to back. And Jeff, if I'm dragging on, tell me to speed it up and I will. But there no, was we a moment. Well, yeah, we're good. Arkansas and was away. And the doctor told me, Coach, you're going to have to take about six months out of your life if you want to continue to live because the early diagnosis prognosis or whatever in the beginning stages in 2012, most people would live six years up to maybe 10 years, 3% right. would li live after 10 years, but with the innovation of, of drugs, et cetera. And the thing about myeloma, it takes it about three years to figure it out. And then they change chemos, but, I go to Arkansas and go through this stem cell transplant. I get finished and they let me out of the hospital. I'm still trying to coach. I'm trying to coach from a, a uh, golf cart. Uh, I got out there on the field and got run over twice. And Greg Norton, a guy named Mike Summers had it on video and it was pretty funny, but uh, we were getting ready to play for the championship, the second championship. And coach Brahms said, uh, Friday night, we are playing on Saturday, and they let me go home two months, and they were bringing me back for the second transplant. And uh, it's pretty horrific, but you know, that, that's the way it goes. It parallels football. You get knocked down, you pick right. yourself back up with a positive attitude and move on. So- uh, Coach, I wanna- Okay. Yeah, I just wanna interrupt. I, I wanna see if- uh... Uh, Pastor Gene Williams is with us right now. Oh, uh, I asked him to uh, listen to this podcast. And uh, so, uh, Bubba, can we bring him on or do we have him? Uh, just checking on that. Pastor Gene? 
Hey, Coach Jeff, how you doing? Coach Cassidy? I'm doing well. How you doing? How you doing, Pastor good. Gene? Good. Doing very now, good. I wanna... Mike, uh, Pastor Gene has uh, – I can't even tell you what he's done for my life. It changed my whole life. And, uh, you know, I had – I had a few of uh, physical afflictions also that I worked through. Nothing like, like you're going through. Uh, I asked pastor to come on today to talk a little bit about healing and pray with you. If you don't mind. Coach Cassidy, just so honored to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Certainly. I love Jeff. He's a, a great brother in Christ, great friend. And uh, all that he's doing right now in ministry, uh, he has brought you up to our ministry team and you have so many people praying for you. And uh, just respect your body worker all these years, but respect your faith of uh, you trusting in the Lord right now and letting God uh, guide you. And as I was backstage listening, what you have gone through, I have a, one of my best ladies in my church right now uh, has gone through the same thing. And so we're, uh, I know what you're speaking of and uh, certainly not been through it myself, but I've been through it as I've pastored someone in that. And so uh, Jeff asked me if we could come on and just pray together. And I, if, if you're good right now, uh, he and I would love to pray over you and just ask the Lord to continue to touch you and work in your life and use this to his glory. Um, Pastor, I'd be honored Pastor, to do that with you. Pastor Gene, let me interject just one more thing that really the power of prayers. The second transplant, I was packed in ice, bleeding mm -hmm. out of every nose, ears, uh, butt, penis, you name it. And I had such a high temperature and I closed my eyes and I prayed to the Lord, which will work great with this moment, to give Amen. me a, a little more time on this earth to help people. And I mentor to a lot of lot of cancer patients, but I would be so honored to, to have you pray with and for Jeff and myself and others. All right. I love that word you just gave, brother. That means a lot, knowing how God is using this in your life right now. And he's going to continue to use that. And so uh, let's, let's all pray together, okay? Lord, thank you for these men and the opportunity we have through uh, connecting, Lord, through this media that uh, we can pray to you. And thank you that, Lord, praying to you, we're never bound. Uh, we thank you that we have immediate access to the Father through the Son as the Spirit leads us. And even, Lord, as uh, Jeff and I have been talking the last couple of days and wanting to work this out, Lord, we'd already been praying for Coach Cassidy. And uh, certainly as a pirate, we love the connection back to some wonderful times with coach Connors and uh, the peach bowl, but Lord, you certainly have given this man a, a long distinguished career and Lord, as much as what you've done on the field through football and how he's mentored so many people, Lord, we are so thankful for what you're doing now off the field in his life and the way you have given him your grace and your mercy. And even to listen to him speak today of the touch of God, and the hand of healing that you have given to him, how you have extended his days. And Lord, we, we pray that you'll continue to do that. Uh, we know that, Lord, you could completely, totally heal everything about him. And Lord, we would ask for that and ask in a right spirit, believing and trusting you will do that. And we know that, Lord, healing can be instantaneous. We've seen it. But yet, Lord, we also know there are times that you call us to bear a cross and follow after you in faith and that healing may be a process of life. And so, Lord, whichever way you, you tend to do this, Coach Cassidy, we pray you would give him strength. We pray that you give him healing, that we give him your sweet mercy on his life right now. He and his family, his children, Lord, may he know that every day uh, you have a purpose, you have a plan, 
and that you are working good on his behalf. Lord, even in our own lives, we have learned, even when things are their worst, they're their darkest and most difficult. God, you are still so good. So bless our brother. May you continue to touch him and work in his life. Thank you for all that he has shared today with Coach Connors that I know is going to bless so many. And, Lord, just please continue to keep your hand of healing and grace and mercy on his life. And we'll give you praise for it, Father. We ask it all in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Guys, thank you Thank you for letting me come in and pray with you all today. I Pastor know you're a busy Gene. man. I very much appreciate it. Uh, brother, I was honored to do it. Coach Cassie, so honored to meet you. Well, that means so much, your words uh, right there, Pastor Gene. And believe me, uh, I won't say this has changed my life because I've always believed in the, the word and the Lord. Amen. But I try to spread it every day I can. And as I said, I mentor to a lot of cancer patients. And Yes, sir. Uh, thank, thank you again for your blessings and prayers. Well, brother, thank you for all that you're doing. And uh, we're honored to connect with you. And I am, I am one of many, many people who are lifting up the name of Mike Cassidy in prayer to our Lord. So thank you for the opportunity to do that. Coach Connors, I always love you, brother. Always good thank to see you. you. And I, I'm going to slide and hit my next thing. But guys, thank yes, you so sir. much for what you shared today. Love y'all. Appreciate you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Uh, Mike, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about your son or your, your sons. or, uh, But I know you have a, a son playing at Oklahoma State, and uh, you sent me a clip of him totally annihilating a poor kid on a kickoff. Uh, so uh, uh, may, let's talk about that a little bit. Well, very quickly, he uh, played in Austin, Texas, uh, played on a 6A. Uh, team, Austin Westlake, Drew Brees played there, Nick Foles played there, a quarterback named Erlinger who's in the NFL. So he was surrounded by a bunch of great players. And out of high school, he had about 40 offers, and it came down to Wisconsin or Oklahoma State. And uh, I'd coached at both places. He chose Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy, and I was so thankful for that. But what I told him when he first went off to college, because there's a lot of distractions out there in today's world. I said, you're there for three reasons. Number one is to excel at the highest level of academics and get a great degree and, and bust your tail. Number two is to excel at the highest level of football, the, the, the mecca of college football. And I said, if number one or number two slip, I'm gonna come take your shotgun, your decoys, your fishing pole, your boat, everything. So in response, he made academic all big 12 his first. He made last year honorable mention all big 12 at his position, which is what they call cowboy back. He's a movement type tight end, gets into the backfield, goes out for passes and he graduated years and now he's because of covid he's his fifth year getting ready to finish his master's right now with uh two more courses and then next year he's got a sixth year so we'll see where it goes from that i'm very fortunate that he's a good boy and all my sons it goes back i said every single day of your life you'll wake up and you don't control ukraine 
the gas prices, the groceries, the only thing we really, really have control of is our attitude. And I said, every day you wake up with either a positive attitude or a negative attitude. And I've been very fortunate that, that he has excelled, uh, you know, at Oklahoma State and big outdoorsman. And my other son, uh, Skylar Cassidy, um, went to Auburn and he went, went there to be an engineer. He's smarter than all of my two other boys, my daughter and my wife uh, combined. And he went there to be an engineer. And after two years, he said, Dad, he said, uh, I don't want to be an engineer. And I said, really? I said, well, well what do you want to do? And he said, I want to be a college football coach. So I made a call and there was a guy there, Sparky Woods used to be a head coach uh, at, at uh, South Carolina, a lot of places. And his son, Casey Woods, ran the recruiting. And Skyler got in there and started in the recruiting. And before it was over, uh, a year into it, there's a coach named Tim Horton who worked with the running backs at Auburn. And he became an assistant student uh, running back coach. And upon graduation, went to Texas State as a graduate assistant, and then went to Texas Tech as a graduate assistant with a guy named Cliff Kingsbury. And after two years, uh, Coach Kingsbury uh, resigned and became the head coach in the NFL. And a guy named Matt Wells came in and told everybody he was bringing his own people and uh, wished them the best, but kept Skyler. And then a year later, uh, Bobby Petrino, uh, after being released the second time at the University of Louisville, wasn't quite as successful. And he went to Missouri State, took over a team that was one in 10 and hired my son and they win the championship year one. Year mm -hmm. two, Petrino's again, coach of the year. They go into the playoffs and uh, this past winter, Skyler uh, was called by a uh, coach Keith Patterson and now the defensive coordinator at Abilene Christian at 27 years of age. And when I was 27, I couldn't even draw a defense. He's so far ahead of where I was and uh, we communicate and uh, he's got a great career, but I'm very, very fortunate uh, for all my kids. I have three sons and a daughter. And uh, like I said, when, when you look at the results, and it's like I've told coaches at clinics who aren't successful and they're grasping, I'm like, I point to the wall and I say, the film up there, that's your resume. That's who you are. And if you don't like it, change it. And uh, that's sort of my life right now. I've been battling multiple myeloma now going uh, 10 plus years. And, you know, uh, I tell so many people that have this disease and they start looking down the road and I'm like, hey, let's conquer one day at a time and then move to the next day. And then I live by and I want my boys to live by. This is the first day of the rest of your life each day you wake up and everybody's got an hourglass with sand in it. Who knows how long everyone's is. But Jeff, uh, you know, it's just what you're doing in conjunction with East Carolina is just tremendous, tremendous. Uh, I, I don't put anything on Facebook. My girlfriend, Karen Johnson does, and people keep up with my life uh, and my activities through Karen. And everybody says, coach, you've got to slow down. You're, you're going to a, 
a winery, you're going to a restaurant, then you're up at 4 a.m. hunting, and then you're fishing, you're, you're going to kill yourself. And I'm like, right. this is nothing compared yeah. to my lifestyle as a college coach. Right. And man, this retirement's not bad, Coach Connors. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I got and fish. And I try to do it yeah. all. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, there's a couple people wrote in some questions here. Uh, you know, okay. sure. how about coaching against an academy? You know, what was your strategy? Because ECU's got Navy this week. Well, let me say this. It started back at Oklahoma State with Rob Ryan. And Buddy Ryan was there in the spring. And we were getting ready to face Nebraska, the number one rushing offense in the nation. And Buddy got up on the board and said, back when I was in Oklahoma, we used to do this, 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 this. So we installed it in the spring back in the 90s and practiced it two days and and shut completely shut down Nebraska's rushing game. And we still lost a very, very close game. And I've carried that defensive package with me. And there was a guy in the uh, Big Ten, Antoine Randall-L., and they yeah. just hung 70 on Wisconsin, and and we held them to 100 yards. And I carried wow. that same defense uh, to Western Kentucky, and it's an offshoot defense. It's very unusual, and it's the most successful. And when I say we shut down Naval Academy and Army both years, uh, we did with this defense. And uh, – you know, it's it's an offshoot defense that uh, not many people. It's like preparing for the wishbone. Yeah. They have to try to prepare for this. And I used it in the Big Ten uh, versus Wisconsin when the two tight ends, and it had a lot of applications. But yeah, it is very very effective versus option football teams. Yeah, I mean, Navy's facing some challenges now with the NIL and. You know, get the, the transporter and some of these things that they can't really participate in. So they, I don't know why they they have uh, basically <laughs> kind of dropped uh, drastically in the last couple of years. But uh, uh, Delaware beat them and then Memphis beat them so far this year. But I guess they're struggling a little bit. But you never know about Navy. You know, I mean, I'm sure yeah, they're, they're going to show up. They're a very very effective football team and. Yeah. Uh, when when we played them up there and they marched out the core and they're in blocks out there and it's the future presidents, admirals, senators, everything is impressive. And uh, I was sitting in the press box and I said, you know, what an experience just to see this. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I did not know that about the NIL and the academies, but it makes sense, you know, because yeah. of the appointments and everything. But Again, um, I've always been receptive to, to share this knowledge about because you, you, you know, Georgia Tech started running the double wing and, and people that run option and everybody does now with the RPOs, it's always been very, very effective. Yeah. Uh, someone also asked, uh, should, have, should Robert Jones have won the Budkus Award? <laughs> I tell you what, I've been around a lot of great linebackers and a lot of great teams, but the guy was very intelligent. He knew how to work hard. He could run, and why he didn't is beyond me. Uh, But, you know, back then, uh, East Carolina was evolving. I mean, it wasn't 
where the program is today. And, yeah. you know, I've been on the opposite sidelines when I was at Cincinnati and in Louisville. And, uh, but every time I came back in my mind, one of the memories that I'll carry forever, Jeff, and I, I don't know if you had, were there yet, but the night before the spring game, all these huge campers came in, uh, the big mobile homes pulling grills all the way around the, the stadium. And they had a hog cooking contest for the next yeah. day. And we would walk <laughs> around as coaches and eat barbecued chicken and listen yeah. to music. And, and the next day was the spring game. Well, this year, that year, uh, right after the game, they erected a stage and the Four Tops and Temptations appeared. And uh -huh. man, what a special, I've never been anywhere where yeah. we had that, that event. Well, that was the purple pirate pigskin pig out, wasn't it? No, I don't know, but it, I, guess I know, <laughs> I think, I think Co Coach Norton and I called it the hog out because we couldn't even <laughs> hardly move. We ate so much pork. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. And uh, well, coach, we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping it up, I guess. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I I had no idea who to have on this show next, and uh, I'm laying in bed, and you know, I guess God just kicked me in the head and said, "Mike Cassidy," and so uh, I said, "Perfect," and uh, I just feel so honored to have you on, and. Uh, you know, I just want you to know that we're thinking about you. We're praying for you. And uh, we're going to enlist some soldiers off of my Armored Life team uh, to make sure that we have some group prayer for you as well. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely uh, big in my life to be able to coach with that whole staff in 91. Of course, you know, uh, I got to coach with you one year. And, um but the uh, chemistry of that staff was incredible. You know, I still have a picture of the staff on my wall downstairs, my gym, but, uh, you know, the, the contingency from Western Kentucky, uh, uh, you guys certainly made a difference and, uh, it was my privilege to be there. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. And I, I don't know if you have anything else that you want to maybe express, but, uh, you know, before I wrap it up, if you got anything else, I'm listening. Well, Jeff, um, I do speak around the country uh, to groups, to individuals, and yeah. anybody that heard this podcast, uh, I'm always available. Um, they can find me in the Messenger or Facebook or off the podcast. I don't know how all that works, but I always enjoy being in front of a crowd and and sharing a story and what the power of prayer and friends and loved ones and and to fight the fight every single day and to this day every day i wake up is a new day that i'm going to fight through this day and i'm living a great life i do i can't run as fast as i used to and i don't know if that's age disease or probably a combination but what an honor to rejoin the the ecu connection and yeah. Uh, believe me, I, I follow the Pirates uh, probably as much, if not more, than I do any other team besides the ones my sons are uh, uh, associated with. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, there well, were so many great friends. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just like, you know, I'm a guest. I'm not really part of the program, but, uh, you know, I still live in Greenville and uh, I've gone to a couple games this year and uh, get, getting back involved a little bit. You know, I, I, I bought a couple lockers up there while I was working there, you know, one in football, one in uh, basketball and always supported the program myself as well. Uh, I want to tell you that, you know, I'm a little biased toward wrestlers because, you know, I coached wrestling for a number of years at the high school level and, uh, I, I can I know that you're one of the toughest people that I've ever met and uh, just keep fighting. And, you know, I told you a little bit about the uh, melanoma I had. And I, I do know what it's like to sit in a, a waiting room of oncology. And, uh, you know, and that's a that's kind of a revelational experience right there. And uh, so, you know, that's when Pastor Gene and I started getting involved, too. So uh, uh, I understand that a little bit. And, you know, I, we're going to be praying for you and uh, stay strong. And I know you, you've got a good uh, uh, group of support around you uh, every day, I'm sure. But uh, just know that uh, you have the support here as well. Well, Jeff, that means the world to me. And you'd mentioned wrestling and, and being on football scholarship and taking Sunday off after playing Tennessee. Uh, on Saturday and then starting wrestling practice on Monday yeah. and having the first pat, uh, match on Wednesday. And uh, wrestling, is it, it's taught me a lot also about fighting and fight the fight. Yeah. And uh, again, thank you so very much for uh, contacting me and anything I can ever do to help you or any of the people that hear this podcast, I'm always open. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. This is Jeff Connors signing off for Absolute Empowerment, armoredlife.org. Uh, God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, stay in touch. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show and go Pirates!